Grace, that is God's undeserved love. And mercy, which is that love put into action in our lives. And peace, the result of that grace. They are all yours through faith in our our Savior, Jesus the Christ, the one who is revealed to be everything we need and far more. I have a language quiz for you guys this morning, and I know it's a Sunday morning, I know you're not in school, but I want to test your your Latin chops. In vino veritas? Anyone know what that means? Oh, you got the last word, all right. In vino veritas. It's actually, it's a... It's a phrase that, that, that's made it for several, several centuries now. You see the last word, veritas, it's on a lot of school seals because it means truth. And where is truth to be found? In vino. In wine, there is truth. It's actually a, a kind of a profound statement for maybe unnoble reasons. But I think if you put two and two together, you who are spiritually mature here, you understand what what they're saying. In wine there is truth. In vino veritas is saying, unfortunately, if one was to overindulge in wine, then maybe some of the guarded secrets that they would keep start to (laughs) spill out. And so, in vino veritas became kind of a, a phrase that was used to say, if you want to get to the truth, offer someone some wine and, and it will come. And so you're thinking, why are we talking about this here in church? Because that phrase actually is incredibly relevant for this first Sunday of the big reveal. And not because we're talking about overindulging in wine in an inappropriate way, but rather as I read to you in just a moment the words of the the account of Jesus' life that we're zeroing in on, in the wine that you will hear about is contained a great truth for us. You see, Jesus is revealing something to us about the wine that is evident at this wedding in Cana. And I want you to leave here today confident in what Jesus is revealing about himself. Yes, in wine today there will be truth. Let's see what we're talking about. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That's the section from Scripture. And this is how it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at a Cana, excuse me, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the, wine was in, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, 
Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of our Lord. My guess is that you've thought about this before, but in case it slipped your mind, just think about again how interesting it is that we, every December, focus our thoughts on the Christmas message and the preparation for that newborn king to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And we get excited because we see and we hear about the birth of Christ and it's evident from the moment that he's born just how special he is. For who of us had angelic choirs pronouncing his arrival and stating with emphasis just how important he was? Who of us had had wise men from the east come and seek us out in order to worship us? Of course, none of us. What an incredible revelation we have when Jesus was born. And yet, you see what Scripture does? It goes awfully quiet, doesn't it? Think about all of the things that must have happened that we hear nothing about from the time that Jesus was a toddler up until the time that he was a grown man. We have that one account of when he was 12 years old and he traveled to the Passover festival in Jerusalem. But apart from that, we have this long period of time. And as you well know from your experiences, what happens when we don't keep things in front of us? We start to forget. And so with that in mind, you start to think Jesus might have blended into the crowd a little bit. The one who was born in Bethlehem, fleed to Egypt, but then returned to northern Galilee to a town of Nazareth. He grew up along with other people his age. He grew up and he was known to be the the son of a carpenter and he was known to be the son of Mary. How many people had forgotten the fanfare with which he had been born? It's time for the epiphany. It's time for the reveal. And yet it's going to be a gradual reveal. But now, with this account of the wedding at Cana, you see those words at the end that says, this was the first time that the almighty and powerful Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, where he allowed some of that divine power to show. And so it takes us to a a situation that I think you and I can, can relate to. He was at a wedding. A wedding in Canaan. Now there are probably a thousand differences between the ways in which weddings were celebrated in first century Israel versus the pomp and circumstance 
of weddings today. For example, a wedding today usually lasts maybe under an hour, the ceremony itself, and then there might be a reception that would last several hours off-site. But a wedding in first century Israel, it was usually a week-long affair. And so completely two different situations and circumstances, but one thing that you can have in common between today and the beginning is that no one wants the wedding to have an unexpected oops. Oh, you see people today when they're planning their weddings, they have things down to a T. You start to get, what's that name they give? Bridezilla? Because they want to make sure that they have all the details figured out. Last thing you want to do is cross a bride or a groom on their wedding day because everything better go according to plan. Same thing back then. And so they are in, the, in Cana, in the small town. A big event, a wedding is happening. And as is customary, food and drink is to be provided for the guests. And then you have the big oops. Whether it was because the family miscalculated the number of guests that would arrive or whether the guests overstayed their welcome, the wine ran out. Oops. What I love about this account is that it's something that we can, we can relate to. It's incredibly scriptural, incredibly earthy. It's something that we can, we can relate to because we, we, we can put ourselves in that situation. And so there was Mary feeling bad for the family. And now comes time for the account. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Mary was in panic mode. And there's a lot that we can understand and a lot that we can learn from Mary here. I think if we put the best construction on this, what can we say? What does Mary do? Oh, that we would all be like Mary, and when we have the first sign of a problem, when we have the first issue come up, that we would run to our Savior, Jesus. What does he say in other parts, in in the Psalms? Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and, and you will honor me. And yet, what normally happens when we have the day of trouble? We will call on everyone before we get to Jesus. We'll call on our own resources. We'll call on our parents. We'll call on our friends. We'll call on our boss. We'll call on our coworkers. And if none of that stuff works, then maybe we'll say, maybe I should take it to the Lord in prayer. But Mary, right there, with Jesus in her presence, he goes straight to Jesus, and he says, they have no more wine. So he's, she's stating the problem. But I think at this wedding ceremony, it's Jesus' reaction that gets all the attention, and for good reason. Did you catch what Jesus said to her? In the translation that you have in front of you, it says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Did those words strike you as maybe a little harsh? I think that you can see in those words, in fact, I know you can, there's a rebuke in there. Even as there's a revelation in there. 
Literally what he says is, dear woman, what is there between me and you? And it's Jesus' way, in fact, it's the common Greek way of asking someone, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Do you have in mind what I have in mind? Are we on the same page here? And by virtue of asking the question, he's reminding us that so often when we come running to Jesus, we don't always have the big picture in mind. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. She sees a problem. She runs to Jesus. They have no more wine. Do something. You who had angels sing at your birth. You who received the praise of wise men from the east. You who, when I tried to find you and you were missing from the Passover celebration, you who said, I must spend more time in my father's house. You know, you got all kinds of special gifts. They don't have any wine. What are you going to do? Dear woman, what, what? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Which is Jesus calling out, not just to Mary, but to everyone in this room, the reality that our mind and our mindset is so often thinking so much lower than what Jesus is thinking. You see, Jesus, or excuse me, Mary wanted relief and she wanted uh, the embarrassment for the, the hosts of that wedding to go away immediately. She wanted Jesus to do something that would allow that wedding to go on unscathed. But Jesus asked the key question, but is that why I came? My hour has not yet come. Because if I came, if my sole purpose for me being born in Bethlehem, true God, becoming man, was to save the day at a wedding in Cana, then you have underestimated who I am. You see, Jesus is starting to reveal himself, and as he reveals himself, he's revealing that the scope of who he is and the work that he is to do is so much greater than anything we ever would have imagined, partly because we fail to see the true problem that's in front of us. Oh, we see plenty of problems, but the biggest problem is the problem that Jesus came to deal with. But we can see more, can't we? Because after using this moment to gently rebuke his mother, he also reminds us the kind of Savior we have. He reveals himself to be one who wants to help us. One who, who has the power to help us. And one who, who does listen to our requests. And so you saw how the account goes on. His mother, with full confidence, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so Jesus said, go ahead, fill up those jars. And take them to the, the master of the ceremony and have him taste that water. And what a miracle. Who, who of you could do that? Just say, go ahead, fill that up with tap water, and by the time it gets to the mouth of the person in charge, it will be not just wine, but some of the finest wine that you could ever imagine. And yet remember who we have in Jesus. 
We have someone who created the very laws of nature. We have someone who created everything. And so for him to allow for this miracle to happen was simply allowing his divine power to be on display in our eyes in a magnificent way. And for him, it's, it's who he is. In so, we start to see the revelation of what Jesus is revealing about himself. He's starting to pull back the veil a little bit so that his disciples and those who were present at the wedding are starting to call into count what they heard some 30 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem. This one he saves, for that's what Jesus means, is someone special. He's revealing himself to be all-powerful and he's revealing himself to care. But by issue of, or by, by, by means of questioning his mother Mary in a gentle way, he's also lifting the expectations. Because yes, I'll take care of the situation with the wine and the water, but my time has not yet come. You want to see my power on display? You want to see the abilities that I have as the God-made man? Well, then just wait and see. As I carry out my ministry, as I perform other miracles, you will see that the greatest revelation of who I am is going to be in bringing you to see that I have come to be your Savior. The substitute for your sins. At this moment, you want someone who can save the day for a wedding. I came to save your eternal souls. At this moment, you want someone who can turn water to wine. I'm someone who's going to take your sin and make it disappear. Jesus came to reveal himself. And it started with those in Cana. These concluding words. This, the first of his miraculous signs... Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Could you imagine the chit-chat on the way home from the wedding among the disciples? Did, did you see what he did? He spoke and it happened? Did, did you see? We knew something was special about this guy. Did you see it? And yet, don't you want to see more? It's human nature. If you can do that, what else can you do? And so I, on this Sunday, tell you, during this series on the big reveal, if you thought this was neat, and it is, and if you want to see more, and you can, then just open up to the pages of Scripture where you see one who can turn water into wine, turn his body and his life into the all-atoning sacrifice for your sins. The debt has been paid. The Savior of the nations has come. What a revelation. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all of our earthly understanding, may it guide your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.